0: Good morning everyone. Hope you're all well. Sounds like our youth, at least, have had a brilliant week. hope the rest of you have had a brilliant week. So my name's Jeremy. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church. Um, I am married to Becky, who's in the front row. We have three children. Um, Some of you will know them, Joel, Caitlin, and Isaac. Joel and Caitlin are uh, finished with school, Isaac is going into year six. So it feels like we just wanted it's going to year seven. I keep on getting this wrong. That's the graduation. Okay, it feels like we we um, we realized we were going to run out of time at secondary school. So we had a, a third child. Um, so yeah, that's that's us. We've been working at home, both of us. We've been dealing with summer holidays and having an eldest back from university, our middle child finishing uh, sixth form and getting a job and hanging out with the friends and dealing with being a lift club for all of them whilst trying to work and having our youngest at home as well. So, it's been wonderful. The weather's been great. It's been good family time, but at the same time, it's been kind of hectic, and I think that's probably the same for all of you. So, before we get into the Word of God, can we just quieten ourselves? Can we just have a quick pray and get ourselves focused and submit ourselves to God's teaching, to His Word. And Lord, we just come before You as a people, and Lord, we ask that You will bring us peace in this time, that You will open our ears, not just our physical ears, but our spiritual ears, that You'll give us ears to hear what You have to say to us this morning as we spend time in your word and submit our wills to your will through the learning and study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's gonna be fun today. This is Bible drill day. So I've got a couple of verses that are gonna come up on the screen in a bit and I'm going to nominate some people from the audience to look up those scriptures and then we'll come back to them a little later and I'm going to have a roaming mic I think Stuart's going to be holding the roaming mic, and he's going to come around, and he's going to come to you as you read your piece. So, who have we got? Joe Davies, Davis, can I please ask you to find Psalm 118, verse 1? Um, Duncan. (laughs) That's the point, Duncan, that's the point. Okay, Lamentations three, verse 23, twenty-two to twenty-three. K. Ruth, three, verse ten to eleven. And finally, Johnny. John one, verse fourteen. Brilliant. Okay. So I'm gonna leave those up on the screen for a bit because I know I speak fast, so they'll be there, you can find them, uh, bookmark them, and I will come back to you later in the preach. So we've been looking at the name of God over the last little while, and it's so important for us to do that. I know when, when somebody first said to me as a Christian, uh, you, you've gotta pray in the name of Jesus, or, or there's power in the name of Jesus. I was kinda of like, well, what do you mean? I mean, surely there's power in Jesus, not in his name. you know. He's the one with the power, but it's because of our Western culture we kind of think of names as identifiers, and we have a bit of meaning to them. But when Jesus, when God speaks to us, when God tells us His name, He's not just telling us, giving us a label. He's telling us about who He is. He's telling us about His character, and um, you know you can learn a lot about God's actions and what He thinks and what He feels and what his will is by reading the Bible. But when he says, this is who I am, we learn from him about his character. So you know that when you get a message from someone that you've never met before, maybe over, over email or text, and, and you get it, maybe it's in a work context, and maybe it's, it's a line manager or someone in a different department asking you to do something, and you think, wow, they are pushy, or they abrupt or very to the point, weren't they? Never met them before, you get this thing, you feel like, "Mm, I'm not really going to respond in the way that they want because they've already got my backup. But then, a week later, you you meet them, and they are not like that at all. Absolutely not like that. They are friendly, they listen, they are are accommodating, um, but it seems that when they are in email or text mode, they're quite directive. The next time you get a note from them, it's colored by that, isn't, isn't it? That, that message isn't just the message, it's now colored by the character of the messenger and it makes all the difference. And, and for those of you that, that get these kind of notes at work, um, we all know that it's, it's much easier to accept a directive from someone if you know that they are willing you to succeed, that their desire is that you're successful. Makes it much easier to do what they ask you to do, isn't it? So with that in mind... Because I know we've had those busy weeks, and sometimes we lose sight of God's character or perhaps spending a little bit of time in His Word. We're going to go and we're going to read the text together, like we've been doing over the last few weeks. I hope you're getting it down now and that it's, it's memorized, but we're still going to do this together. So if we can have the text up there, or you can read along in your Bible, and we're going to read out loud. Okay, so let's give this a go. The Lord... "'Descended in the cloud and stood with him there "'and proclaimed the name of the Lord. "'The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, "'The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, "'slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love "'and faith, keeping steadfast love for thousands, "'forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin.'" but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations." It's really, really good to repeat Scripture or truth to ourselves and get it down deep. It's even better when we know what the truth that we are repeating means. And that's why it's been so good for us to spend these few weeks on this verse. Each, each week, a bit of a, a word study. Because let's be honest, sometimes we assume, we bring our definition to the words of the Bible, and, and that can be really, really unhelpful. It's, it's unavoidable. I mean, we, we obviously make assumptions that certain words mean certain things based on how they've been defined for us by society and culture. Um, but as we Grow up in our study of the word, it's a good idea to spend a bit of time trying to understand what a biblical word actually means and how that impacts our lives, the way we think and feel about God, ourselves, and others. So today, we're going to focus in on, on one phrase, which is one Hebrew word, and that phrase is steadfast love. Yahweh, the Lord. Says of himself that he is abounding in steadfast love. He is abounding in steadfast love. So let's ask ourselves when we hear that word love, what do we know about love? What is it? Where does it come from? What is it for? Is it romance? Is it affection? Is it loyalty? Is it your favorite ice cream (laughs) or that feeling you get when you see a cute puppy or another flipping cat meme? We use love to describe so many different things, don't we? And so many, and and, and when we, we, we think about those things, we need to think, do any of those things ring true with what God says about Himself? Yeah, I mean, is he sitting in heaven, and when he says he's abounding in steadfast love, does it really look like this? He's sitting in heaven, and he's going, ooh, I just love those Israelites. They are so cute. Or, or is he kind of going, oh, of all the nations on earth, I like the Samaritans, but I, I hate the Ammonites. I love the Israelites. They are definitely my favorite. I know I'm being silly, but the truth is often we are silly with the way that we think about the character of God. The things I hear about God from people are, are based on their opinions of, of what He should be like, their opinions of what He should be like. So they take that to Him, and they say, well, you're not the way I think you should be. Um, and, and equally as often, I, I, I see them defining God by what they want or, or need. And you know, that's silly, and, and I'm not pointing fingers. We all do it. We all do it, don't we? We kind of have this little picture of what God should be like based on what we lack inside of us, and so we try and make God fill that hole the way we perceive it, and that's silly. So what we're going to do is rather than doing that, we're going to dwell on steadfast love. We're going to ask the Lord, what does He say of Himself? And, um, and we're going to start with the word. Okay, so steadfast love is, I'm going to try and get this right. It's not chesed, it's chesed. Chesed. Okay, that's one word. It's a huge word. It doesn't just mean affection. In fact, it doesn't mean affection at all. But it appears in the Old Testament 245 times. And 75% of those times is referring to God's chesed, God's steadfast love towards His people. Chesed assumes a pre-existing relationship. It refers to actions, things that that someone does that demonstrates loyalty to that relationship, to preserve it, to protect it, and to make it flourish. It, It doesn't refer to any one specific kind of action. It's rather describing a kind of a, a posture in a relationship that can be expressed through many different acts. So, this is like, chesed is, is the way God is standing in His relationship with us. It's His attitude towards His relationship with us. It's also a covenant word. It describes this posture which is required to remain faithful to a covenant. And and for that reason, it's often compared to marriage. But it's compared to marriage, but we have a picture of what marriage is. And it's all kind of, I think for a lot of people that aren't married yet or perhaps newly married, it's all wrapped up in romance. So we get confused. This is not the kind of love. This chesed is not the kind of love that comes out of a feeling or a need, that romantic love is quite honestly not steadfast. Now Becky's in the audience and she knows that I'm gonna say this and that doesn't mean that I don't love her very, very much, but romantic love is anything but steadfast. That is why you hear so often about someone who's fallen head over heels in love they are smitten. They are over the moon. They are talking nonstop about X or Y. And then the next week, they're like, I just don't know. I, I thought I was, but something's changed. As, da- as Caitlin would say, I got the E.ck <laughs> It's fickle. It's unreliable it's exciting, it's exhilarating, and all of that, but it's all over the place. Absolutely all over the place. Whereas chesed is more about an unwavering commitment. It is not all over the place. It is rock solid. And I guess for that reason, in terms of human pictures, the closest that we can get is marriage, or perhaps a a parent's relationship with their their children. And while we know that human relationships are, are massively flawed, there's something of the, the principles of chesed there. Like, if you think about the vows in a Christian marriage, even the ones that progressive people don't like anymore, like submitting to each other, if you think about the fact that you're promising that you will not, you will not separate until death separates you, that you will stick together for better or for worse. And that's not just Like, because when you're feeling up and when you're feeling down, that's when your spouse is amazing and when your spouse is an absolute rag. Now, I am an amazing husband. I am. I mean, I can say that with all confidence. I am an amazing husband, and yet I'm not perfect, and Becky will tell you that. There are things, there are things that I do, there are things that I say, and there are things that I don't say that annoy Becky, massively. I know, I know. But I can stand here and confidently say that I know Becky loves me. I know that I, I know is not the right word, I I feel safe with Becky as my spouse because I know that as annoying as I am, as frustrating as I can be, Her leaving me is off the table. I know that her love for me is rock solid, that it is steadfast, and I know that there are flaws there. I know that that we have days where we want to wring each other's necks, but we love each other. And in that sense, there's something deeper than romantic love. There's something deeper than, well, he's meeting my needs at the moment, so I'm, I'm happy with him, but tomorrow, he's not meeting my needs, therefore, I'm out the door. And I've got kids, so I can talk about that as well. And I tell you what, I love my kids with all of my heart, but some days I don't. (laughs) Some days I just can't make sense of what's going on. I don't understand them. I don't understand the decisions they make. I'm not quite sure why they treat me the way they do, but I love them nonetheless. It doesn't matter what they get up to. It doesn't matter how angry I get with them. It doesn't matter if they do things that I don't condone or agree with. My love for them is sure, and they know that. Well, I hope they know that. Because I'm not going anywhere, and there's always a place for that in my home. That's chesed. And I know that's not the same for all of us. I know we have, our human relationships are, are up and down. we we all got different experiences. So I don't mean to show off, but I'm just trying to make an illustration of, of what it is, what this, what this kind of love is. So that's what I mean when I say it's a, a covenant word. It's God's God's hessed is expressed in a series of covenant com, com, commitments, and there's a very specific reason for these commitments. It's to restore the blessing that was there at the beginning when Adam and Eve walked with Him in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. It's to restore that blessing to the nations, and to restore that blessing to the nations through the family of Abraham, and He'll do this. By raising up an Israelite who's a royal seed from the line of David who will bring God's kingdom back to earth. Now that that is his covenant. Those are the series of covenants that he works towards. And that's what his chesed is there to preserve. Because of God's commitment to his promise, that's why we can we read through the Bible and we think, man, these guys really should have been obliterated off the face of the earth. They do not deserve. God's love. The reason that they weren't judged harshly is because of his commitment, his chesed, his, his um, steadfast love. So if you think about Abraham in Genesis 24, I'm not going to read these all out, but you can make notes and go and have a read. Jacob in Genesis 32, the Israelites in Exodus 15, Israel again in Numbers 14, or David in 2 Samuel verse 7. So, if you think about God's covenant with His people, it's not a contract. It's not like what we're used to in in a contract where, where both parties have to fulfill their side, otherwise the agreement is in breach and the contract can be terminated. It's more a case of both parties having to throw everything that they have, Into the covenant and not looking to the other party to meet them halfway. You know that saying you hear, you meet me halfway and and things will go well. No, what God tells us to do is, no, you throw yourself in 100%. You throw everything into this relationship. That's the difference between covenant and contract. And there is no terminating a covenant. And the best example of this is is probably God's covenant with, with Abraham. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go read through the whole story, but in Genesis 12, remember God comes to Abraham while he is still Abram and he makes a covenant with him. He promises that he will bless Abram and his family and through his family, all the people of the world will be blessed. That's his promise. His promise is that his descendants will become a great nation and that all the nations of the world will be blessed through them and there's no promise of a cushy life for Abraham. There's, there's no promise of a fat bank account or, or fame. Or Abraham didn't, pros, you know, well, he did in a sense, but he had a tough life. Go and read Genesis and see what Abraham went through. It was tough, but he lived with this big promise that God had given him. One of the disappointments that Abraham faced was in Genesis 15 that Sarah was like, very, very old. Let's just put it that way. She was beyond childbearing years, and yet there was no seed. There was no son. So this promise of a great nation to Abraham and Sarah was like, I'm not sure how you're going to pull this off, God, because we need an heir. If we don't have an heir, we don't have a nation. That's kind of guaranteed. And in that moment, Yahweh speaks to Abraham and he tells him to make a sacrifice. Essentially, he tells him, don't get squeamish. Um, he tells him to go and get a bunch of animals, some doves and some rams and some goats, and, and to, to, to kill them, to slaughter them, and then to cut them in half, to cut them in half, and then to lay the halves of the animals out in two parallel lines, in two parallel lines. Now. This sounds weird to us, but it was quite normal. It was called cutting the covenant. It was called cutting the covenant. Essentially, what would happen is the two parties would do this, they'd lay out these parallel lines, and then they would walk between the carcasses as a symbol that they would not break the covenant. And if they broke the covenant, it would be, they would be like these animals, dead, torn apart, And sacrificed, they would be the same. So that's what normally happens. It's a very serious, well, agreement that's made when you come to covenant. But in this story, God does something strange. He causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. So Abraham falls into this deep sleep, and then he has this weird vision. And some people read it and they think, well, he must have eaten something bad. But he has this weird vision and it's, it's the smoking fire pot moving between the, the carcasses, between the two lines of carcasses, and that smoking firepot is God, we are told. It's a striking image of Chesed, and it would not have been lost on Abraham. He would have understood exactly what God meant when he did this. A bit weird when we look at it, but Abraham got the message. God was saying to him, I'm making a covenant with you and your family, Abraham, and I will keep this covenant regardless of your family's faithfulness. I will keep this covenant regardless of your family's faithfulness. This covenant is not dependent on you. I am walking between the animals myself. So what we see is Yahweh From the very beginning, saying that he will rescue the world through the nation that will come out of Abraham. And he will spill the blood that needs to be spilled when Abraham and his seed break the covenant. Yahweh himself will pay the price that's needed to be paid if Abraham and his offspring violate that covenant. Can you see Jesus here? Can you see him? The cross was never plan B. It wasn't like the last and the long line of attempts by God to try and get us on His side. It was always the plan. From the very beginning, God had a plan of redemption and it always involved Jesus paying the price for our transgressions so that we could be restored to Him. The rest of the Old Testament really, is is a story of God remaining faithful. That's what it is, a story of God remaining faithful and showing chesed to His unfaithful bride Israel. There are ups, there are downs, there are times of God chastising and punishing and disapproving and being saddened by their behavior and wooing them back, but always out of chesed for His bride and for His covenant. There are a couple of other places so, let's have a look at those. Who's got Psalm 118, verse one? Roaming Mark Tom, <laughs> is that you, Joe? Joe, if you wouldn't mind reading that out for us. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; His Chesed endures forever. His steadfast love. The Psalms are full of examples where the writer expresses their gratefulness to God for his abounding steadfast love. But in many places it is also the basis of the writer's hope in hopeless situations, or it is the basis of justice, when it seems like 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 they are being treated unjustly, and it is the basis of restoration. Right, Duncan. Lamentations three verse twenty-three. Uh, they are new every morning great is your faithfulness yeah because of the lord's great love we are not consumed for his passion his compassions never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness it's like every single day it's like the first time he said he loved us they are new every morning okay it's also made clear from, from some of Israel's difficult times that God's people understood that they deserved to be obliterated. Like in Lamentations, this was a situation where they're like, yeah, man, we really do deserve to not be here anymore. If it was not for God's abounding, steadfast love, they would cease to exist. To this day, it's considered a miracle that the nation of Israel is still a thing after millennia of tragedy. The the nation of Israel itself stands as testimony to God's faithfulness. There are stories like the one of Hosea. I don't want to bore you with this one, but it's weird. A prophet who God tells to marry a whoring woman, and then his life becomes an object lesson for all of Israel on God's relationship with his unfaithful bride. There are stories like Ruth and Naomi, and the tragedy of a family who was almost blotted out but was redeemed by Boaz. Who's got Ruth? Let's see. Ruth 3, verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Yeah, it's a beautiful example of chesed, in two ways. So, this is Boaz talking to, to Ruth about her chesed towards him, but Boaz himself extended himself and redeemed that family because of his his unwavering commitment to the well-being of, of another. There are also examples of where, where Nehemiah stands and he looks on the broken walls of Jerusalem, and he's crying, and he, he rallies Jerusalem to rebuild Israel to rebuild the walls. But he never sees the fulfillment of that promise. It comes hundreds of years later in the form of Jesus. So, who's got John 1, verse 14? Oh, it's behind you, Yeah, Jeremy. thanks. If you, move, if you move, I can read that version. Yeah. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is amazing, that, though, that ending, full of grace and truth, that full of grace and truth is a translation from Greek, which is a translation from Hebrew, and grace is chesed. Jesus is the embodiment of chesed. He is fully God. But remember His bloodline? What is He also fully? Man, but fully Israel as well. So remember that image of covenant between God and Abraham, where Abraham makes the sacrifices and lays out the animals, but then God Himself, by Himself, walks walks the line. How is it that God can do that? Because Jesus was there with Him, and with Jesus was Israel. So the covenant was made with Israel, and Jesus was going to keep the covenant for Israel. So when Israel failed, Yahweh was faithful, Jesus was faithful. Before that, when Adam failed, Jesus was faithful. When you and I fail, Jesus remains faithful. He remains faithful to bless and to heal and to free and to save us. He takes millennia of failure, He takes it all and He carries it all, drags it all to the cross and He absorbs it all in His body as he dies. And then when he is resurrected, he breaks its power over creation. That's why the New Testament writers are always quoting the Old Testament. For them and for us, the gospel doesn't start in Matthew 1. It starts in Genesis 12. When God tells us about himself and he says, I'm abounding in steadfast love. He's telling us how the gospel works. And the truth is he's still not done. He will return and he'll restore all things as he has promised because of his chesed. And we can see his unwavering commitment in the past and that gives us an unshakable hope that he will deliver in the future. So what about us? What about us? We've heard about compassion. He does love us. He has affection for us. But with this word, with chesed, we learn that his love for his people is not based on a feeling or an innate need. There's no lack in God. There's no need that he's trying to fill like we do when we look for love or when we express love. He doesn't love us because he is lonely. Even though sometimes some of the things we sing and some of the things I hear people say kind of intimate that maybe he is, I promise you, God is not lonely. He's completely and utterly satisfied There is nothing that he lacks, and there is nothing that he needs. And because because of that, his love is out of a perfect place, and he's rock solid. It's not sentimental. It's not fluffy. it's, It's concerned with our ultimate good, and it's concerned with the ultimate good for all of his people for all time. And because of that, this means that he doesn't always do what we want because he doesn't need to prove that he loves us. He cannot be manipulated by us or bent to our will because he's not seeking our approval. He's not seeking the approval of the media. When Jesus was walking in Israel, he was not seeking the approval of the religious authorities or, or the rulers of the time. So yes, the overarching message for us is that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. But remember, he doesn't love you just as you are. He loves you despite who you are and what you do. That's what Hesed means. He loves you despite who you are and what you do. and that's an important distinction. He doesn't endorse or condone your character, your thoughts or your actions by saying that he loves you. When we say to you that God loves you right now, while you're a sinner and you still his enemy that doesn't mean that he's happy with you the way that you are in fact he loves you so much he won't want to leave you the way that you are and so he he works to woo your heart to win you over and to change the way you think and act and feel and because of that work we carry his name we are his bride and therefore we are to reflect His character, even if it's slightly flawed, and that includes chesed. And that's what we're called to do as the bride of Christ, aren't we? That is what we're called to be. We're called to, first of all, chesed God, worship God, give Him our affection, give Him our love. And then to chesed our family, to love those around us, and to love all people. John 14, 21 Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Hosea 6, verse 6, For I desire mercy, chesed, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, not burnt offerings. I'm not after your external behaviors. I'm after what's going on inside of your heart and how you treat the people around you. Matthew 5, verse 44 to 45, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So I'm gonna come into land. How are we to respond? How are we to respond? What if if you're looking at this God and perhaps you've wondered if he's as flaky as all the other people in your life? Untrustworthy and self-interested. I hope that today you can see that he's the exact opposite. That he's neither a weak pushover nor a self-absorbed despot, but a loving father who is abounding in steadfast love and unwavering commitment to his children. All you need to do is acknowledge that and and ask him to to be your father. If that's you, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you get plugged into a relationship with him and, and get to know a father who is like no father you've ever known, is like no friend you've ever met, is like no lover you've, you've ever pursued. What if you're thinking, I'm really, really glad, I'm so glad that he is unwavering in commitment to me, but honestly, I just don't feel it. I don't feel like I can return the commitment. I don't feel like I want to pray. Maybe I don't want to worship. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to get baptized. I just don't feel it. Listen to me. If you've learned anything today, what is chesed? Chesed is not deciding whether you do something based on your feelings or perceived benefit to yourself. Chesed is is about coming to God and making a decision to do what He asks you to do for the good of the relationship. An unwavering commitment. So God promises that He will help you to grow and to be more like Him, even in your chesed, in your steadfast love. So even if you don't feel like it, I'm asking if you will do it. Ask Him to help you and then be obedient. Be obedient. Don't ask Him to help you and then sit around waiting for your feelings to change. Do what God asks you to do as part of the covenant relationship that He has with you. What about showing chesed to others? Not just those that you like or who are like you or even those that don't like you at all. What about those that are hard to love? Those that push you away? Those that judge you harshly, how do you chesed them? How do you show them steadfast love? We'll ask God to help us to reflect His chesed to the people around us, and finally we should worship, shouldn't we? Yeah, Ben, do you want to come up? Because finally we should worship, shouldn't we? (laughs) I I don't mean just singing a few songs. I don't mean to be glib about it, but, you know, having the team here leading us and and helping us to worship God is not about entertainment. This is about taking away obstacles, taking away anything that can get in our way, and giving us an opportunity to to give ourselves fully to God. So, I'm not talking about singing songs. I'm talking about letting our, our hearts leap out of our chest as we think of the blessing of being loved by a, a God that, that not, is not only affectionate towards us, but is, is firm and rock solid in his commitment towards us and to his promises. The, we should be jumping out of our chest, realizing that, you know what, um, my salvation is not based on whether I feel like I love God or not, but is firmly based. On the fact that he is committed to his covenant with us as his people, and when Christ died and paid the price for all of the sin, past, present and future, that that is an unretractable transaction. And we stand as the benefactors of that, through, no bene- through, no, through, through nothing that, that we, we've done. Let's, let's stand. Lord, I want to thank you that while we were still sinners, you loved us. While we were your enemies and running from you, filled with hatred for you, You pursued us. Lord, I want to thank you that when, even as your people, we are fickle and our emotions towards you are up and down and our obedience to your commandments are tenuous, you remain faithful to us and you continue to woo us and to draw us to yourself. And Lord, I pray that as we spend time worshiping now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would work in our hearts and minds. That you would work in us a desire to obey you because of your great love for us. To do what you have asked us to do because you are interested in our success. The things you ask us to do, are good for us even when we don't feel like it. So Lord, I pray for that. I pray that you will, you will be there, that you'll bug us, that you will pester <coughs> us, that you will remind us that we are to be obedient and that you will be there to help us change. And Lord, I want to thank you that as we look to the past, we see the future and we know that you are going to return and you're going to make all things new. And there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no pain, there'll be no death, there'll be no tears. And Lord, we look forward to that day because of the assurance that we have in your steadfast love. In Jesus' name.